a new type of serial killer is stalking the streets of New York City. One more devious and disturbing than ever before. Good morning. This is Greg Grasso with Chapter One, and I'm talking with Jeffrey Deaver this morning. Um, everybody knows Jeff Deaver. He's uh, one of the best thriller writers on the planet right now. And uh, Jeff, we're here today to talk about the Skin Collector. How you doing, man? Good, Greg. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so Lincoln Rhyme is back. Is is uh, the Skin Collector the eleventh in the Lincoln Rhyme series? Or um, that's yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you sort of how it came about. Please, when I wrote the Bone Collector about uh, fifteen years ago. I intentionally and uh, rather manipulatively, I should say, left open some plot points. Uh, and I can't say what they were because if I did, your listeners might kind of kip to what the, the big surprise in the skin collector is. But, but suffice it to say that I left open some plot points in uh, the bone collector. And I kind of tease readers over the years by mentioning them and teased Lincoln Rhyme by uh, these plot points coming back. But then I finally decided it was time to uh, bring the whole thing to a conclusion. So that's why I call The Skin Collector a, a, a true sequel to The Bone Collector. There have been nine other intervening uh, books right. in the Lincoln Rhyme series, but this is a true sequel. And the story is quite simple. The villain in The Skin Collector has been inspired by The Bone Collector in some way. We're not mm. quite sure how. Mm. But he isn't interested in bones, he's interested in skin. Not in the sense of cutting it, but in the sense of tattooing on it. He's a very, very talented tattoo artist. And so he um, tattoos on his victims uh, a cryptic portion of a message and taunts the police to figure out what's going on. And uh, so Lincoln and Amelia get on the case and they find a victim, and then they get clues to where this guy's going to strike next, and maybe they stop him in time, maybe they don't. And then the book is uh, just a typical Jeffrey Deaver thriller. It races along over the course of two days, a big surprise ending, then after that there's a big surprise ending, and after that yet another big surprise ending. So, uh, And finally those plot points from The Bone Collector are all resolved. So we bring everything back home again. Well, I remember the Bone Collector turning into a movie. Um, the, mm-hmm. the Skin Collector sounds like a movie, also. Any chance of that? I hope so. <laughs> uh, from, from your from your lips to the producer's ears, right? is that what they? Is that the expression? We want a movie. <laughs> good, good. I love that. Thank you. Keep yeah, at it. <laughs> yeah, we want a movie. Um, well, okay. So, is this the end of Lincoln Rhyme? Period. Is he gone forever? Or is he going to come back? No, there's no way. There you go. No, there's no way. In fact, even as I um, wrote the last page of the uh, Skin Collector, yeah. I um, couldn't resist. I left open a little bit of something that um, will come back in the book. He'll appear again in uh, 2016. Uh, the next year will be a Catherine Dance book. Catherine is the character from my uh, series set in California. She's the kinesics expert, mm-hmm. the body language interrogator working for the California Bureau of Investigation. And um, uh, so that'll she'll be out in 2015. 2016, we'll see Lincoln Rhyme again. And then I'm working on a standalone. Uh, can't really say much about that. It's still a bit up in the air. But hmm. So that's the uh, 
what do they say? No rest for the wicked. I think no rest for the <laughs> no rest for the weary. <laughs> Maybe oh, oh, that's it. the okay, wicked that's weary. <laughs> Jesus. Well, well said. <laughs> okay, this book, the Skin Collector. Uh, we go underground, New York, don't we? We we go down into the uh, to the hollows of New York, underneath the ground. Um, you know, when I was uh, living in Manhattan years yes. ago, I, I was fascinated with the city in all its aspects. I loved the, the skyscrapers. I loved the streets, the different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, New York has, uh, there's, of course, Chinatown and Little Italy, but there are also uh, places like uh, a small uh, Seoul, or Little Seoul, I guess you'd say, Little Ukraine. Uh, there's a, a sewing machine district, of all things. Down you know, underneath? financial district? Well, there's... No. Uh, no, this is, these are on the street. Oh, okay, okay. But, but what, yeah, these are neighborhoods. But what I learned was that there is, um, uh, because New York has always been a very crowded city, even going back to the uh, 18th and 19th centuries. So the, the streets being incredibly congested, um, companies would build uh, passageways underground so that the workers could move goods and uh, not have to um, worry about the congestion on the street. And also, I'll be delicate here, but we think car pollution is bad. Imagine back in the 19th century, what kind of pollution did the moving vehicles have then? Horses, hundreds of thousands of horses. So people would prefer to stay off the streets if you possibly could. (laughs) And so these these passages, primarily in downtown New York, although in other places as well, um, were... um, available for the workers, and long abandoned, and I, I've actually seen uh, some of them. They're quite spooky, dank, unpleasant uh, places, but I thought, what a brilliant area to kill somebody in, in the book, I add quickly. <laughs> and so uh, I, I thought, okay, time for the, um, in the skin collector, time to utilize those, and so my, my villain prowls through these tunnels and subway passages as well in the basements of buildings and, and apartment complexes, and uh, sneaks into places like laundry rooms to track down his victims, the basement restrooms of very fancy restaurants, and um, you may uh, go down to do your laundry and realize that that access door that for all these years you thought was closed and sealed, no, it's open now. And that may be the last thought you ever have. Yeah, that would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to see an open well, that's door. that's my job, Greg. That's yeah. what I'm here for. Well, you you do your job very well. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you. You've always got twists and turns. I mean, um, uh, your books are so easy to follow, yet they uh, they take angles like uh, no other writer, is, as far as I'm concerned. I, well, you know, we... we We've talked about this a bit, and yeah. I can only do that because I spend about um, eight months outlining the book. I do the <clears throat> the structuring I was mentioning. And, uh, you know, I, if I pick up a, a novel now, and it, a thriller, and it, it kind of meanders, and, you know, the characters stop and they think about stuff, and then invariably there's the line somebody says to the, the detective, what does this clue mean? And he, he'll say, well, I don't know. Well, that means the author doesn't know, because the author is at that point in the book when they don't know where it's going to go. But And I've written books like that, and it's just not really fair to the uh, audience. What you have to do is craft a novel that's built the same way a car is. You know, every part fits together. That's what allows it to work. And so that eight months of outlining, I have um, charts and graphs and timelines, and that allows me 
to make sure the clues work. Uh, there are no cheats. I want people to be surprised, but I don't want them to feel cheated. And uh, in that way, all the twists and surprises come together. Um, you know, occasionally I, I drop the ball. I think if I do anything, I may add too many twists. Uh, I, I, sometimes I just can't stop myself. And in, in the, the book, just prior to uh, the skin collector, the kill room, my Lincoln Rhyme book from last year, I I had a, a at the end I built a plot twist in, and I thought, you know, it's just too much. I don't want the readers to think, oh, this is this is just too much. They, and they, I'd lose them for that scene in the book. So I took it out, and I think it was a stronger book for that. But, oh, it took a lot of willpower. It was hard to do. <laughs> well, you you like to write quietly, don't you? I mean, uh, uh, I don't know what your house looks like, but I, I suspect it's uh, cozy and comfortable. And you, you do write at home, right? I'm, I mean, uh, yeah. Are you yeah. are you a recluse? Yeah. Well, I write. <laughs> are you? Recluse? I, I, I am you, a bit of a recluse. Yeah, yeah. like Stephen White. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, oh Stephen White is just as well. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, I'm sitting here in my um, uh, home office at the moment. My dog is at my feet. So Love far, it. being quiet, he knows I'm doing radio interviews now. So he's on good behavior. <laughs> and I could look out at a nice rose garden, a swimming pool, a garden, another garden, some plants. Uh, landscaped backyard, mm-hmm. but the curtains are closed. And I'm told the sun is out, and it's a beautiful day. Ah. But this is where I work. I don't want distractions and quiet in in all senses. Occasionally, I can listen to music while I'm uh, hmm. uh, while I'm doing some types of editing or research. But but on the whole, it's probably better to keep quiet. And that's what I um, well, that's the atmosphere I, I go for. Uh, it's I heard an author one time when asked, well, how, what is it like to dwell with the demons in mm-hmm. crime stories? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know. I just make this stuff up, and then go, I go have a beer at 5 o'clock when mm-hmm. it's time to knock off work. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's pretty much true, but you do need to concentrate. You do need to step into the minds of all your characters. And so you really can't have any uh, distractions. I don't answer email. I do have a Twitter account, but there's a time for that. That's not while you're working on the uh, the book. Unless, of course, you have writer's block, then you'll do everything from Candy Crush to watch reruns of Honey Boo Boo, <laughs> just so you don't have to confront the empty page. But uh, but that's a personal issue about, uh, you know, dealing with the creative demons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a restless soul, aren't you, to a point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what have you been doing lately? Um uh, I know you're working on a, on another book. Uh, I, I think that's coming out the end of this year, maybe. Um, um, you've been uh, yeah. That, oh, that'll be out early next year, actually. Oh, early uh, but next well, year. Uh, one of our, our you know one of our common interests. I just had a uh, dinner party, and I know you're a uh, quite the gourmet cook. I uh, had I have to say it was kind of a uh, mundane meal, but I had some friends over, so I. Uh, I'll give you, you and your uh, yeah, your listeners yeah. a fast recipe. <laughs> Took um, about five pounds of pork shoulder, a mm-hmm. bone pork shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, chopped it up, mm-hmm. sautéed it, put it in a pot, mm-hmm. a can of crushed onions, a bunch of garlic I'd already sautéed, onions I'd already sautéed, probably uh, three-quarters of a cup of vinegar, a half cup of brown sugar, and some uh, mustard, French's yellow mustard, and let it cook for a good seven hours, and that was uh, pulled pork uh, served with coleslaw and uh, 
uh, buns for sandwiches, and if you didn't want that, you could just eat it on a plate, uh, salad, and then some, um, I forget what the dessert was. I actually made dessert for a change. Oh, I made the cheesecake. So that was my uh, my nod to, I won't say gourmet cooking, but good, solid, uh, hearty uh, southern food. Yeah. Well, I, actually, I'm not a gourmet cook. I'm more of a peasant uh, peasant uh, food cook. I, I cook... Uh, Italian peasant food, immigrant food, um, food that I related to my grandparents and aunts and uncles uh, um, living in Philly and New York and Connecticut at the time. Um, but yeah, well, there's I, nothing I, like that, though, Greg. That's the best kind of eating. I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'd love to. Well, I was at a, I was at a fancy restaurant uh, on the road. I guess I've been traveling all over the world for the. Uh, both Skin Collector and some other projects, and it was this was a restaurant. I I can't remember where where it was. Somewhere in continental Europe, maybe in Italy or France. And mm. you know, they I, I was they, they took me out. I was the visiting author, and I was very pleased. And they took me out to a, a, a nice meal, but it was kind of a like an overly precious restaurant. And so they served the main course, which was a fillet of very nice beef. But th- this was the joke that you may have heard. Years ago, I'm like, well, sir, how did you find your your steak? And the fellow says, well, I moved aside a pea, and there it was. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, in fact, I don't know what this cost. It was many, many euros. And it was a little tiny bit of beef, and it had a little sauce. It was kind of the sauce was off, off to the side, and maybe three little bits of asparagus. And I wanted to go home or go back to the hotel and order room service and get a like an order of. Uh, <laughs> French fries or frites over there, and because uh, I was I was still hungry, and uh, you know, so this immigrant peasant food, give me that any day over that kind of uh, elite uh, elite fare. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, a lot of my recipes take hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, you gotta you gotta you gotta really pay attention. Um, uh, as you know, you've you've traveled all over Europe, and you've got a good sense of the uh, of the um, uh, population and. Uh, um, their habits and so on and so forth, but oh sure, yeah. So so Italian, yeah. Th- this new fusion stuff that's coming out, you know, I kind of like, but uh, I like to go back to the basics because when I cook, if I took if I cook sausage and peppers or Italian uh, chicken, I mean, I'm coming in with a huge freaking plate, man. It goes right on the table, and then you know, a free for all. Eat what you want. Um, I, I like. Well, as we're talking here, Greg, I'm I'm going to see my assistant for lunch in uh, uh, this afternoon, and we're, we go to an Italian restaurant, and I'm having sausage and peppers. Thanks, there you go. Thanks to you, I'm oh, getting yeah. hungry. Oh, I'm yeah. getting hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Oh man. Hey, um, I got a question. Um, how do you writers? Uh, well, okay. Let me let me go back. I, I talked with a friend of yours, Stephen White, uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Really nice guy. Oh my god, this guy! Is, oh, he's fantastic. He's he a is, super fellow. He is so cool. And uh, he talked. He told me about uh, uh, you guys becoming friends years ago, and uh, you kind of have the same kind of tastes. And um, so, so how'd you meet? How'd you meet David? Because he's. Uh, I mean, Stephen. Because he's. He's. He's a good writer. Yeah. I had never written. Uh, never read any of his stuff. I mean, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, well, we probably met at a writer's conference, but I will tell you a, uh, a, an interesting uh, uh, 
I was going to say event we did, and there was an event. There was a writer's event down in New Orleans. But uh, where we really bonded was um, uh, trying to find the best gumbo in mm. New Orleans. And that's that's a challenge, not because there's so much... It's hard to find good gumbo. It's it's hard to find bad gumbo right. in New Orleans. <laughs> so we were going from restaurant to restaurant, and of course gumbo is kind of a sort of a soup-like dish, so uh, you can have, in one night, you can go to a number of places and have a bit of, uh, have a, you know, a smaller bowl of gumbo and then try have some, you know, maybe some bread or rice, rice and beans, and then go on to another place. I also would imagine there was some beer involved. <laughs> I, I think I can safely say that some wine and beer figured in our, our revels as well, and uh, that was, uh, that was some, some years ago. But no, Stephen's a great guy and writes a, one heck of a book. Yeah, yeah, he um uh I I talked with him like I said last week and he's uh he's winding down a little bit, you know, I think he's tired and uh but he's also open yeah. to what's Well, it gets, you know, gets gets to you. The uh, yeah. uh I I do I, I last year I did two books uh, as we talked about, but uh mm-hmm. this year it's just one and every year it's getting more and more work. Is it really? Yeah, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just uh, and, you know, the traveling is just Oh, I bet Very that. Very tedious. I bet that uh, just got you. back from England. I did uh, probably seven cities in the UK, Good and night. I love meeting fans. I like doing presentations, but it does catch up with you after a while. Good night. Good night. I want to go back. I want to go back to the skin collector for one uh, minute, um, if you don't mind. Uh, this this uh, sure. nut, this nutcase is a, uh, a tattoo artist, and where, <laughs> what's the relationship between? The, the ink and the body. I mean, there's got to be something very, very tweaked, uh, very, very sick about the, the connection of, of either touching the skin or um, if he's tattooing. What, what's going through his mind? Is it, a, is it an ownership type thing? Is it, uh, what is it? It's, is it sexual? Is yeah, it, that's it. Yeah. Um, that's it exactly. And, and interesting you say that, Greg, because um, they they wonder if he's uh, a sexual pervert because there's evidence that he touches the skin. But that doesn't seem to be the case. But when when you um, said use the word ownership, uh, that's uh, that's where he is. He, for reasons that I can't go into because it's um, that's a big plot twist. But I certainly can say that when he collects skin. He does not, as I say, doesn't take the skin itself, doesn't cut the skin off people, but he owns it by tattooing it with his hand, his handwriting. And he's a very elaborate calligrapher, too, in addition to being an, an artist, a painter, and a, a artist of uh, body art and regular art as well. And by um, uh, putting his stamp, let's say, on someone, he takes possession of them. And the um, the theme of body modification throughout the book is really meant to echo the hero in the book, Lincoln Rhyme, who is, of course, a quadriplegic, and the, the reference is made that he really has the ultimate body modification, in his case, not willingly, but because um, he um, uh, had that uh, accident, and his body has been changed forever. And so he's fascinated with these with the people who... Um, in the tattoo world, who intentionally modify their uh, their bodies and do it as permanently as his condition, because you know there are washable tattoos and you can now get them in ink that can be 
uh, I, I think, uh, made invisible with a certain type of light. Mm-hmm. But real people really interested in getting inked, they they put up with the pain, and they put up with the um, the fact that this is going to be permanent. You make a commitment. And uh, that is what Lincoln Rhyme really related to uh, throughout the Skin Collector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Wow. <laughs> Lincoln Rhyme, unbelievable. So um, what's um, what's um, what's going on? Okay, let's let's get off things for a little bit here. Um, you write you you write about these sick, demented people, <laughs> and I love it. I love, I love the, it. I love the imagination. <laughs> I've been um, my wife and I watch all the weird stuff. I mean. All the creepy stuff, and, and the reason we watch it is because we are fascinated on what makes these these uh, killers tick. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the brain is a very fragile yet one of the most powerful organs in in, in the body, and um, it, it it just fascinates me um, from a psychological standpoint how one gets stuck in into these. Uh, into these dimensions, you know? Um, so, yeah. so the question is, have, when you started writing these series, did, did you do any medical or, uh, psychological investing or investigation, or did you just use your own creativity to develop this character, these books? Uh, no, no, I looked, uh, rather extensively at uh, people that we think of as evil, uh, when in fact uh, sometimes they aren't evil at all. They're simply a glitch in the brain. You know, a paranoid schizophrenic uh, is a medical diagnosis, and that person could uh, slaughter any number of people think, thinking that they are uh, attacking aliens who have come to Earth to destroy humankind. Mm-hmm. Now, that person is not evil. That person is sick. Yes. And it's not to say they shouldn't go to jail, maybe uh, even uh, go to uh, uh, prison uh, forever, but uh, just because their reality does not uh, comport with real reality. But uh, then there are people who are uh, evil. They make conscious decisions. They know that what they're doing is wrong, and they either think they can get away with it, um, or, or they are, you know, in some cases they are uh, compelled because of uh, addiction or other types of um, uh, conditions, greed, for instance, uh, sexual lust. Uh, They they commit horrific, horrific crimes, um, but they they do it without any sense of um, morality whatsoever. And those are the people who truly interest me. Uh, The terrorists are generally pretty stupid. Uh, They're narrow-minded. They're not compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not complicated. uh, um, no, not at all. No. They're just they're like a tornado. You know, mm-hmm. here comes a tornado. It kills a bunch of people, or a terrorist kills a bunch of people, and they should be caught, and you know, they should be punished in some way. But uh, but basically, that's not interesting to me. But it's the people, the sick and twisted fellow who's uh, you're sitting next to on the bus who starts chatting you up, and they have some ulterior motive. That's the kind of person that interests me. Yeah, and and New York City is a great setting for that. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of people on buses in New York City. You, you don't necessarily want to talk to. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Well, listen, man. Um, I got. Uh, 
I got a, uh, a preview of the skin collector last month, and uh, uh, I got through it, fortunately. Um, and th- this, is, uh, this is one of your better ones. Um, well, thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's yeah. done well. It just went to number one in the uh, England and the United Kingdom. Uh, uh, I think that was yesterday, maybe the day before. So it's uh, selling uh, selling well. People seem to like it, and it's um, um, uh, you know p- people are very happy that Lincoln is back. They like Lincoln, so it's uh, doing well. And I, I'm you know I'm happy about that. Appreciate your comments. It means a lot to me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen. Um, uh, I'm going to say goodbye, uh, but hang on for a minute, if you would. Um, uh, okay. All right. So, uh, so we're talking with Jeffrey Deaver, his latest book, The Skin Collector, the 11th in the Lincoln Rhyme novel series. Um, this is a great th- thriller, folks, because uh, this is a different type of uh, of a killer. Uh, this guy is uh, this guy is really tweaked, and uh, Jeffrey paints a a very, very good picture of this guy. Jeff, thank you very much for uh, talking again. It's always oh. a pleasure. And um, Greg, enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it a lot, as always. Always good talking to you. Thanks, bud.